Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Kevin Drewley, Associate Editor at Safety and Health. With me, as always, are fellow Associate Editors Alan Ferguson and Barry Botino. We welcome you to our August 2023 episode, number 42 in On the Safe Side History. As always, we thank you so much for spending some time with us wherever you are in podcast land. We know many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear about it for the My Story feature on our magazine. You can submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth@nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on all the news from around the safety world on our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Barry will take us on a deep dive into his feature story on math for safety pros. We hope you aren't shuddering at that subject, and Barry will tell you why you shouldn't. For our monthly Five Questions with Interview segment, we'll be joined by our NSC cohort, Kenna Carlson, a research associate in our Work to Zero initiative, who will tell us about common types of wearables and what workers and supervisors should know as these technologies become more prevalent in multiple industries. And the three of us will also share the lessons we learned this month in What Else? Our What Did We Learn segment. Is everybody ready? Let's do this. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we examine a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health Magazine, which you call our deep dive segment. In our August issue, Barry writes about why math is a needed skill for safety professionals and how to make it less intimidating. Barry, as someone whose math skills plateaued, or some would even say fell off the continental shelf at around Algebra 1, can you make these deep, dark numerical waters a little less scary? Well, thank you, Alan, for that introduction. And Alan, before I dive into this story, I want you to give me one word to describe your math skills? Oh, one word. Um, mediocre. <laughs> Kevin, give me one word to describe your math skills. I'll stay with the letter M, mothballed. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. I appreciate your honesty, guys. Uh, for me, the word adequate comes to mind. Um, so in our August issue, I got the chance to dive into why math skills matter for safety professionals. And the most succinct description I got from a source was from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater Associate Professor Todd Lusheen. And what he said about math and safety was, it's essential to problem solving. Todd also added that looking at the duties of a safety professional, which include evaluating, anticipating, and auditing, those things require you to collect data, to understand it, and also to analyze it. Another source for this story, Colin Brown, who is the Director of Business Advancement at the Board of Certified Safety Professionals, described math in a unique way. And he mentioned that it's important in a safety professional's toolkit for a number of reasons. And those reasons include managing risk, analyzing data and metrics, ensuring regulatory compliance, and also applying technical knowledge in areas like fall protection, ergonomics, and industrial hygiene. Barry, are there some common equations that all safety professionals should know? Yeah, Kevin, in the story, we highlighted five different equations. And obviously, that's far from, you know, the the, the number of equations that are out there, the numerous amount of equations that are out there. Um, and our listeners can check those out in more detail in the magazine or on the website. Um, but we highlighted dart rate, days away, restricted, and transferred. Uh, and that helps determine how workplace injuries and illnesses 
uh, have led to days lost or restricted or transferred to another job annually. Um, also, another was total recordable incidence rate or TRIR and time-weighted average, which can help safety pros understand the level of a substance or agent such as noise that are present during a particular shift. One fairly involved calculation that we mentioned is the NIOSH lifting equation, uh, which has a number of different variables to it. But that said, NIOSH has a handy app that can help with those calculations in order to protect workers who are performing lifting duties. Uh, the final one was a cost-benefit analysis. And how many times do we hear from our contacts that to really get leaders on board, you have to speak the language of the C-suite, which is often a financial language. And being able to speak to how dollars spent can positively impact safety is quite important. But it certainly doesn't end there, as I mentioned, with, with math. Math plays a role in equations regarding slips, trips, and falls, confined space entry, arc flash calculations, ladder and lift equipment selection, and even in PPE choices. So there truly are an immense number of applications throughout the safety world. And Angela Giotto from BCSP, who is one of our sources, told us that every company, industry, and job has different hazards. And it's our job as safety professionals to determine how to mitigate those hazards. Barry, what if as a safety pro, you're not confident in your math skills? Well, there's some good options out there, Alan, for, for just that. And Angela Giotto from BCSP shared a couple of good strategies with us. One is to keep practicing and to keep that skill fresh in your daily work life. Secondly is to lean on those around you. Uh, Angela suggested reaching out to professional peers to educators, to supervisors, or even to consultants who can all help, um, especially when that comes to more complex problems. And you'll find that that network can really pay dividends when we're, we're talking about math and safety pros. Um, another thing to keep in mind is, is that keeping a skill fresh often can require some regular refresher training. Uh, BCSP.org has a number of math-related resources. The NSC has a publication, uh, a book called Accident Prevention Manual, Administration and Programs, and that includes various calculations for folks with safety responsibilities. And other safety organizations out there offer either printed or online or in-person opportunities to keep your math skills fresh. A quick Google search can certainly help you find some of those items. Also, using that skill each day will help. Uh, Todd Lusheen from Wisconsin Whitewater said he's always doing some kind of equation, either on his phone or on a, an old Texas Instruments calculator that he still carries around with him. Uh, so there are more ways to be more confident in your math skills and to ensure that you're using those skills every day. And of course, the major benefit of stronger math skill set is keeping the people in your organization safe every day. Thank you so much, Barry, for your work on this story. To read this feature, as well as other news from around the safety world, please pick up the August issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So, what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. You can share your safety origin story by sending a submission to safehealth at nsc.org. Wearable technologies are often a frequent companion in our lives, most commonly as personal fitness trackers. Uh, they're also monitors to track our sleep, our blood pressure, blood sugar, and activities such as mapping the time of uh, our walks, our runs, or our bike rides. 
Uh, wearables have also taken hold in the workplace as employers are using these technologies to keep workers safe and healthy. But there are some concerns about them on the job. With us this month to discuss wearables in the workplace is Kenna Carlson, who is a research associate in the Work to Zero group here at the National Safety Council. Kenna, we're so glad you could be with us on the safe side. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Where we wanted to start with you, Kenna, was uh, NSC conducted a safety technology in the workplace survey back in 2020. Uh, it was a survey of 500 employers and 1,000 workers. Could you share some key takeaways from that research with our listeners? Sure. Um, so this was uh, Work to Zero's landmark report, um, and we looked at all the existing data and feedback from EHS professionals to identify the top hazardous situations that were accounting for the greatest number of fatalities. And from there, we identified over 100 different technologies that can be used to control for these hazards. And as you mentioned, we also collected some survey data from employers and workers. Um, and we really aimed to understand, you know, what their safety concerns were, what technologies they're investing in or they're currently using, and what their main barriers to innovation were. One of the key takeaways that we found was that Work at Heights had the highest potential for serious injuries and fatalities. And one of the most widely adopted uses of technologies was actually drones. So what drones enable us to do in this case is to keep workers' feet safely on the ground so that we can eliminate the need for workers to even be at heights. Another thing we found which was really interesting is that workplace violence emerged as one of the leading causes of workplace fatalities, which was something that we weren't anticipating. And from there, we kind of pivoted and added workplace violence as an additional consideration um, in Work to Zero. I would say one of the key takeaways is that there's such a large variation in how organizations are planning, testing, and adopting technology. Um, so a lot of times what we see with these larger organizations is they have dedicated resources for research and development. Their budgets are higher for piloting. A lot of times it's easier for them to have these technologies customized for their needs. And with that information, we really aimed to help those small to medium-sized companies innovate within their own workplaces and in general to make innovation more accessible for all employees. Kenna, what are the most common types of wearables for workers and how are they typically worn? It depends on, on how we want to define wearables. In general, smartwatches tend to be the most popular option, um, but depending on you know, the hazard you're trying to control for and, you know, the purposes you're looking at, wearables can really be put onto any part of the body. I've seen smart helmets. I've seen smart boots. Exoskeletons are used a lot to improve lifting techniques and posture. I've seen smart glasses, which can be worn to, you know, track eye movements or head movements to help detect um, if employees are at risk for fatigue. Virtual reality headsets could be considered a wearable, which are used oftentimes to train employees and provide simulated safety exercises. And something that's really interesting that's emerging in the area of musculoskeletal disorders is we're seeing that this wearable technology is actually being implemented into clothing and PPE. Um, so it really kind of depends. I think the quintessential idea that people have in their minds is smartwatches, um, but there are a lot of options out there. With that, how has technology advanced and has detecting fatigue or other health issues become easier? You know, in general, the past few years that Work to Zero has existed, it's been really interesting seeing just how quickly 
safety technology is moving and how quickly uh, innovation is happening. And because these wearables are data-driven, they can track really any number of physiological factors or environmental conditions. So if we're looking at physiological conditions, wearables can track things like your ergonomic performance. Um, It can look at the noise in your surrounding area. Um, There's fatigue monitoring, uh, heat stress monitoring. Um, It can also look at the external environment and look at things like proximity detection, how close you are to heavy machinery. Um, It can look at chemical exposure, gas monitoring, heat monitoring. So there is such a wide variety of capabilities that these wearables have. And I think it's going to be really interesting with the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning to see how these algorithms can help further the capabilities of wearables. And what we're seeing starting to emerge is that these different models and algorithms can take on such huge amounts of data. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how these models can be implemented in the future to make real-time predictions and real-time recommendations for workers. Kind of some of the most common concerns you often hear about wearables from workers kind of center on privacy and data usage. How are these issues and others kind of being addressed by both employers and maybe by manufacturers as well? Yeah, so I'll start by saying that those are completely valid concerns. You know, just nerded out a minute ago about how many things that these wearables can measure. But from the worker perspective, that can that can be scary. Um, So the first place that I always recommend starting is to have really clear privacy agreements. You know, employers need to work with these manufacturers to understand how this data is being collected, what that data is actually being used for in a safety context. Workers want to know who has access to this data. How is this data being protected? Um, And in a lot of cases, it helps to have the option for employees to opt in or opt out into using a technology. Um, And in general, I think transparency is really key toward innovating and implementing new technologies into the workplace. Have open and honest conversations between EHS managers and employees. Um, You know, involve them into the process. Employees really enjoy being involved in innovation. Um, You know, let them try these technologies during the pilot process. Let them give their feedback and share their concerns and take these concerns seriously. Um, It's not always possible to address each and every concern, but a lot of times you'll see patterns starting to crop up as you're gathering this feedback. And, you know, you want to make sure that you're working with any of your prospective vendors on how to anonymize and aggregate this data. So in a lot of cases, though you are collecting individual and personalized data that can be considered very private. In a lot of cases, the vendors can work with you to make sure that you're just seeing that aggregate level data so that workers feel a little bit more secure um, knowing that they can't be individually identified. So how can employers know that wearables are necessary in their industry? First and foremost, um, you're going to want to start where you always do and understand your risks. Understand you know, what risks are facing your employees, um, understand the different worksite risks. You'll want to identify those hazards and categorize them by risk, categorize them by severity. We don't want employers to, you know, try to blindly choose technologies that may or may not work. Um, Choosing a technology should be a very carefully considered iterative process. Um, So I also recommend engaging with employees understand their insights and their own worksite concerns. 
you know, explore industry best practices, talk with people within your industry and see what they're using, see if they've had, you know, any successes or any failures in integrating technology. Always consider piloting your technologies before you start. As I said, you want to iterate your innovation process. You want to pilot them. Start with small scale pilots. Um, allow your employees to test out these different technologies and provide feedback. And then take those steps towards scaling up slowly. And of course, you'll want to perform a cost benefit analysis. Is it going to be worth it to implement a new technology? We know in a lot of cases it can be expensive. Um, so you want to understand, you know, what is the cost and what is the cost if we don't implement this technology? What is the cost of you know, just your normal day to day, what do those hazards look like? And really, we just we want organizations to understand if it's helpful, but know that technologies are not always needed, but they can be sort of an extra layer of protection and offer employees an extra layer of protection. Well, Ken, as we wrap up uh, this month's interview, um, for our listeners who may want to also, as you say, nerd out about this topic, <laughs> um, can you share some online resources that are out there for folks who do want to learn more about wearables and get, get some more knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would recommend checking out the National Safety Council's Work to Zero initiative. So we have developed a suite of completely free resources for employers who are interested in deploying safety technologies. So we break down our resources into what we call the safety innovation journey. So from the risk assessment to understanding the digital readiness of your own organization toward, you know, the initial pilot and implementation process, we have resources that can really help employers along the way to understand what technologies are out there and how to best implement them. So I would definitely recommend starting with the Work to Zero initiative. Great. Well, Kenneth, thank you again for sharing your insights on this topic. And we appreciate you being our guest on the podcast this month. Thank you for having me. As we approach the end of this episode, it's about that time to discuss what we've learned in the past month, whether on the job or off. To get things started, I learned that SWANA, that's the Solid Waste Association of North America, is searching for a new executive director and CEO. SWANA is uh, an organization and association that represents workers in solid waste, both in the public and the private sector. And we'll do a little bit of reporting on them. It's often related to the fatalities and, and injuries in the field. Um, but they're, they're outgoing or now outgone, I suppose, executive director, CEO, David Biederman left during the springtime. And he's spent about a quarter century in the industry and I think about eight or so years in that role at SWANA. Um, he had been, you know, very receptive to speaking with the magazine through the years. We'd written a story, I believe it was June, 2018, the I, I like uh, the, the the pull quote uh, headline stories. You know, it's pretty dangerous to be a garbage man was the name of that one. But just <laughs> that was a good one. Great quote. Yeah. Yes. Spoke. So he he spoke for that, and then just through through the years, I know also he lent his perspectives when the three of us and others uh, we were gaining perspectives from prominent safety voices at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was the future of safety, and then we did another follow up back to the future of safety. But David had had. Um, lent his voice for that. So always appreciated that. So no, it was just something that Swana had sent a, a press release that they were looking for, for new leadership. So I reckon if you feel you're a prospective candidate or, or know someone who might be, there's more information on the website and that's Swana, S-W-A-N-A.org. Um, Alan, how about you? 
So I reported a story on Joe Man- Senator Joe Manchin's opposition to Julie Sue's nomination as Labor Secretary, and there were a couple reports out there, namely from NBC News, that that referenced a law that basically says that Sue could serve indefinitely as acting Labor Secretary, and that makes it um, makes her unique, or at least the cabinet position unique. Um, among some others, because most are governed by what's called the Federal Vacancies Act. And so uh, I think that's a very politically fraught position to to have someone serve as acting secretary indefinitely. And already um, Senator Bill Cassidy, who's the ranking member of the um, Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, also known as the HELP Committee, has already come out and said, nah, that's probably not a wise idea and I again, I think that's that's kind of a, a politically fraught thing that they could do, you know. But to quote Jeff Goldblum, you know, should you do it, or paraphrase, I should say, Jeff Goldblum, you know, should you actually do it? Um, Barry, what about you? It certainly sounds like a slippery slope, Alan. Yeah, a very slippery slope. Yeah. Well, I wanted to share something um, that I wrote for SafetyAndHealthMagazine.com, and you know, brought me back to a, a former. A professional chapter of mine um, working in healthcare journalism. And this is a policy statement from the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society. And what they've asked is they're hoping that OSHA will consider a standard on safe patient handling and mobility. Um, my wife is a nurse, um, and there are a lot of issues with uh, moving patients, handling patients. Um, and there are a lot of technologies to move patients and handle patients. Um, but many times during emergencies, for example, patients are moved quickly um, and that can cause injuries, musculoskeletal disorders, um, chief among those among those in the healthcare industry. What this group is asking for is they would like OSHA to develop and implement a standard that requires all healthcare facilities that are responsible for moving patients or residents, whatever the facility may be, to have in place a program that prioritizes the use of lifting and transferring equipment rather than having human beings do that themselves. So really interesting development there. Well, now it's our listeners' turn. Is there something important that you learned this month? Please share it with us via email at safehealth@nsc.org. We know that your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending just a bit of it with us each month. Feel free to visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash podcast to check out all of our past episodes, such as episode 35, which includes a discussion on the acceptance and adoption of safety technology. We'd also appreciate you rating, reviewing, or spreading the word about this podcast. To find stories such as Barry's feature on math for safety professionals and all the latest news from around the safety world, check out safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on your favorite social media channel. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you so much, Steve. And a big thank you to all of our NSC colleagues behind the scenes who make this podcast go. Ryan Gruntish, Amy Bellinger, Debbie Meyer, Paul Walensky, Karen Lord, Melissa Rominski, and Jennifer Yario. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side. <music>